0: your mind, in your heart, to gain new knowledge, to get a fresh new start. MJ Network will bring you there, so let's talk about it with
1: life and all the air. Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis and this is MJ Network. MJ after my sister, Marsha Joyce, who I miss. And this is going to be very informative, and I hope everybody is listening. Dr. George Cavuto, my professor from reading, who taught me everything, and the reason why you asked me how I understand things, now you're about to find out. We're going to talk about his research, his findings about the medicalization of education and impacting students in schools today. So good morning, and I am so excited to have you on my broadcast, and I have a ton of questions, and if we don't finish them, we'll just do it a second time. Not a problem.
0: That sounds, that sounds great, Brenda. Thank you so much. I'm pleased to be with you.
1: Well, the the term that everybody doesn't understand, and I said it to a couple of people, they looked at me, is medicalization of education. Why do some people get, non, non-meds get medicated and they're treated and they really shouldn't be? Why does that happen?
0: Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, I'm going to... Uh, Give you the, the definition according to the first person who really defined it, uh, a chap named Peter Conrad, he defined it as um, uh, medicalization is defining a problem in medical terms, using medical language to describe a problem, adopting a medical framework, and um, using medical intervention to treat it. And uh, quite honestly, starting oh uh, a long time ago, uh, there was this uh, little by little creep into uh, education where education started to become medicalized, and we started using medical, quasi-medical terminology to describe what beforehand had been simply, he's a poor reader, well, now he's dyslexic. He's a poor writer, now he's dysgraphic. Mm. He's a poor uh, attender, now he's ADD. Uh, we, we started using this medical terminology, and it has persisted, and I think very much to the uh, detriment of education.
1: Oh, I agree with you. You know, i got so many students, and the teachers from the class before would say to me, you know, there's no way you're going to help them. There's no way you're going to teach them how to read. I go, you want to bet? Yeah. I mean, a lot yeah. of the teachers don't know. A lot of classroom teachers do not know how to assess or diagnose. So they go and they look at the record cards from the year before, and they group the kids according to whatever book they finished the year before. Right. So, yeah. That, that's, yeah. That, 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 that's, that's definitely not, not the right way to go, I know. So what yeah. you, you wrote an article, The Impetus of the Book, and what research did you
0: do on this topic? Well, I did a good amount of research when I, I actually looked into the, um, I, I would highly recommend anyone who's interested, I would highly recommend one specific article uh, called The Medicalization of Education and Historiatic Graphics historiographic, not easy to say, the medicalization of education, historiographic synthesis. Um, it's in the uh, History of Education Quarterly, uh, winter of 2006, by a chap named Stephen Katrina. And that article will give anyone who's interested an excellent uh, mm. background of the uh, medicalization of education, uh, starting in the 1800s to the present. So um, I... I uh, read oh, <laughs> quite a bit, but that article was really the... Uh, well, I, I was going to say impetus, but that's not true. But that article is a a good, good place to start. The impetus mm. really for me was my, oh, 38 years um, teaching at the college level, having my own mm. private literacy center, and having children come in. Uh, and as soon as I see them, sometimes I, I got... Uh, literally tested thousands of the friends and uh, some of these many of these children as soon as i see them and looked at their eyes i could tell that they had that label the label is incredibly counterproductive you can see it they feel like they're not worthy they feel they have a terrible self-esteem and uh, Uh it, it as you do the testing it it comes out that's why when i when i finish and they had a couple of positives there i don't lie to children but if they have really good listening comprehension and really good receptive uh-huh. vocabulary, I let them know, hey, you're two years above in these areas. All of a sudden you see a different child, you know. And uh, you let them know that it's something about talking about strengths as opposed to weaknesses, you know. I know. It's sad. My my nephew
1: has an IEP. He just started high school. Yeah. And yeah. I, last yeah. year I, I was on the phone a lot with the, with the um, t- team. And I said to them, what are you doing to help him? bring his reading, t- reading up, because I don't know why he didn't call me to help him over the phone. I said, I don't. what are you doing to bring up his math scores? What are you doing for anything? I said, he you're supposed to address his his, his educational needs. They did a very poor job. And I yeah. know that he's very, very, very hard. He would call me and say to me, can you do my homework for me? And go like, no, I'll explain it to yeah. you, but I'm not going to do it for you. It's scary. Yeah.
0: There are so many
1: people that quickly cite the children as being underperformance. And labeling, I agree with you, is detrimental because a lot of times the parents are sitting there, the child is there, and they're telling them they're learning disabled, and they're not. And I I have proved them. I mean, you have too. I've proved them wrong in so many different cases. And, I mean, even when you're doing a diagnostic test, I don't use just one instrument. I use a couple. So I want to make sure. But you're right. Listening comprehension is what it says it all.
0: So yeah, listening comprehension. You're right. Listening comprehension is an excellent indicator of reading potential, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And most of them can 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 do it. And a lot of times, it's just a matter of teaching them how to deal with um, longer words or harder words. And I've developed my own little tricks of the trade on how to do that. So there are so many people that are. Based on the reading assessment only, what about the audience and the background? I mean, seriously.
0: Uh, I, I'm sorry. I missed. What, are you asking let you me about Let the... me do a
1: different one. Should should or should learning differences be labeled as a learning disability? How do you okay. define yeah. what what should be defined as a learning disability?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great question, friend. Um, in, in my humble opinion, I would do away with that term, learning disability. Yeah, uh, me too. Disabled, when, Disablement is very hard to overcome it's a systemic disorder. In the field of special education, uh, since the, the term was coined by Samuel Kirk, I think, in the 1950s uh, or 60s, by the way, he rude the fact that he ever came up with that term. Uh, Samuel Kirk, the father of the learning disabilities movement. And uh, he, he, he made the point, and this is quite a quote, but it's close, that the quote, the, uh, the label does not help in the least. It gives the educators a a feeling of closure because now they can put a name to it, but it doesn't help instructionally at all. So, uh, no, in fact, um, I think uh, that was one of the things that we chatted about a little bit. Uh, If I had my way, I probably would change that term from learning disability to learning challenge. Yeah. Uh, And uh, and again, I think we both know that 95% of children labeled learning disabled have as their primary area of deficiency reading and or writing. So that being the yeah. case, 95% of all children are learning challenged or reading challenged or writing challenged. So you know what, challenges can be overcome. However, I must stress this because I have worked with thousands of incredibly well-intentioned teachers, but I've mm-hmm. worked with thousands of well-intentioned teachers for We're just not terribly well informed about the process of reading. You got it. And the state doesn't require it. The International Literacy Association uh, suggests nine credits in literacy for elementary school teachers. That's Mm -hmm. a travesty, absolute travesty. Uh, 125 credits to become a certified teacher and nine Three courses in literacy. Uh, we we can't blame the teachers for that. We they do. School districts do try to make up for that with in-service, etc., etc. However, sometimes that in-service is not um, what it's cracked up to be.
1: No, I agree with you because every child learns differently. When I taught sixth grade. I was so happy.
0: <laughs>
1: then my principal decided the fourth year I was going to teach, you're going to teach first grade because the teacher came in and she had more experience, more years than I did. And yeah. I was like really miserable. And I said, this was the day before school started. And I go, gee, this is really not fair. I, w- I was in shock and I never taught first grade. I wasn't born to teach first grade. So I went and taught uh-huh. my, with my girlfriend and a whole bunch of first grade teachers and they gave me, you know, told me the books and all the rest of it. Then I had to go home the whole weekend and figure out what do you do with first grade? How do you talk to them? This is right. the most. Oh, I was like shell shot, and these poor kids never knew what hit them. By the time I got, they were using Bank Street. Now Bank Street is yeah. tight. Does it? And I, I invented my own way of of doing it. You know, using word cards and make sure making sure they didn't memorize just what the book said. And I created my own reading program of I don't even know how I did it. By the time I got done with them, they were reading the third grade book. I couldn't even tell yeah. you how. I was like, yeah, okay, this is this is going to be just so much fun. I felt so yeah. bad, but the, most of the teachers aren't trained. They're not trained to administer a diagnostic test, and they use the book as their guide. Whatever the yeah. teacher's edition says, that's what they do. They don't know how to change the method, and that's something that they claim that I knew how to do to start with. I mean, well, I, 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 I even, yeah.
0: No, good public school,
1: I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Most, most teachers don't. They just go whatever what the book said, and they don't know how to change. Yeah. I mean, every child learns differently. So when I saw that some of them couldn't learn by sight, I picked up a different program, open court, and taught them by sound. And if they couldn't yeah. do that, I figured out something else. Because the principal said, you will meet the needs of every child in your class, or you're going to have a problem. And we used to meet every week to talk about what we had to do. So why, right. why can't these teachers figure out another method of instruction? Or do the principals well, I, actually tell them you've got to do it the way the book says? Because it's a canned program. Yeah, I, they don't work.
0: Well, I, I think, friend, the answer to that very good question is a, a simple answer, and that is <laughs> that, that that which we were talking about five minutes ago. Um, the, the reason why basal, basal reading programs are ubiquitous mm-hmm. Uh, have made up uh, 90% of the school reading programs up until about five, eight years ago, is because they were scripted. They were scripted. They had a whole script for teachers to use. Not because teachers were lazy. Teachers aren't lazy. They're well-intentioned and they're hardworking. But they do not have adequate preparation in reading. Uh, Six, nine credits is not an expert fake. So as a result, they're very comfortable with being scripted basal readers. Um to be honest with you, uh, Gene Shaw wrote that uh, groundbreaking book in the, uh, oh, I think in the 50s or 60s uh, about the, the the reading wars, reading the great debate. And uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the, whole, the whole premise of the book was uh, how do you teach reading? Do you teach reading um, at sight, whole homework, or do you use phonics? That was the premise of the book. And interestingly enough, um, Fran, in 1980, Oh, let's see. In 1982. I was just finishing my doctoral degree. The institution was being accredited, reaccredited, and Jean uh, Shaw was one of the people on the board coming in. And my advisor, H. Allen Robinson, the past president of the International Reading Association, uh, asked me to speak with Jean Shaw. And it was wonderful because I sat down with. I was thrilled. This was. This was, I, was, I was. I had the chance to speak with our real, real top-notch person in the field of reading, and I have to say, it didn't go well, because I thought she was going to ask me mm-hmm. about the program and how much I've learned, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Instead, she started out by saying, well, George, what do you think about the debate? I said, excuse me? She said, you know, it's a great debate, it's a great debate in my book. How do you keep reading phonics or whole words? And I looked at her, and, you know, the two roads diverged in a yellow wood print? I, I, I was thinking of Robert No, and I said, yeah, what the heck? I already have this doctoral degree just about, let me mm-hmm. be candid. So I said, Dr. Shaw, if I could be honest, oh, by all means, young man, if I could be honest, I think you asked the wrong question. And she looked at me, and all of a sudden, she didn't look as happy as she had before. <laughs> but she said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't think the question should be, should you teach whole word or phonics?' I think basically we've learned unequivocally From linguists such as Noam Chomsky at MIT that there are three Uh language-feeling systems, graphophonic, semantic, and syntactic. And basically, it's all that simple. We have to teach all readers how to flexibly use all three of those queuing systems. And geophonic is a fancy word for phonics, So you must teach phonics. I think the question should be, how do you teach phonics? Do you do it letter by letter? Do you do it using letter mm-hmm. clusters? Do you do it using rule-based? That's a good question. Uh, and whole words, people become automatic at reading words as whole by doing a lot of reading. So, um, anyway, the conversation didn't go all that well, and H. L. Robinson called me that night and said, George, George. <laughs> so I said, oh, that's okay, the other people were fine. So I guess uh, Dr. Schultz wasn't pleased with my response, but I had kind of a catharsis, you know? Uh, and uh, I, to this day, how many years later, I still believe that. We have to teach students how to use all three language cueing systems. That's right. We have, them, we have to teach them how to bring their background knowledge, their schemata, and, and top-down process. We have to teach them how to, uh, yeah, we have to teach them how to sound out words that are sound-outable, preferably, in my opinion, using clusters, not individual letters, not in English anyway. doesn't work, um, especially with phonetically inconsistent words. It uh, doesn't work at all. So, uh, uh, again, the, the, all of these things I'm spotting for are basically the result of my having a, know, a bachelor's in English, but a master's in reading and a Ph.D. in reading for so psycholinguistics. And uh, we're talking about 100 credits, probably more, yeah, 120 credits uh, just in reading and language and neurology and uh, linguistics. And, uh, again, you can't develop this and I'm sorry, I must answer that just without sounding self-serving. I must answer that a kind of experience. I've, I've assessed over thousands of children over the 38 years, and the, that experience coupled with the knowledge base, that, that will do the trick. Nine credits will not do it. We have to change that mandate, Brad. We have to get schools. Indiana uh, in 2010 decided they had to do something. So they sent a, as part of the National uh, Quality of Teacher Education Program, a survey to all the states asking how well they do teacher education and reading. Do you know the response? They got 100% response. And the, uh, the 100% response, most, the, the, I don't think, the, I don't,
1: they said, they said I don't think principals 15%. know how to teach reading either. I mean, I, well, I work I with, right. the last year I taught, I was the reading specialist because I wanted to just go back into the program. And to be honest, I I couldn't do it. I I said to her, I used to come in at 6.30 in the morning for a morning group because my principal said, you're helping kids that just came into the country. So uh, this particular principal said to me, you're the strongest teacher in the school, so anybody was absent. I got stuck covering in the morning. I said, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to educate children and work with them, on top of which I couldn't work with them in my room. She took my room away and told me how to work with the teachers in the classroom on one side and the other yeah, on goodness. the other side. And, and <laughs> oh, for 36 years, I don't think I ever took off more than a day. And yeah. I took off a whole month. And then I yeah. said to her, if you don't value the fact that I'm better than everyone else and I know what I'm doing, I don't need to be here anymore.
0: Yeah.
1: I yeah, I, well, I, you could, know. I could not take it, the, the disabuse. And the kids were upset. This is fifth grade, tough fifth graders that were doing yeah. phenomenal work. They really wanted to do very well and I was upset yeah. because I couldn't do it anymore. But that, that yeah. that's what's that's what's really scary as a matter my thesis for my reading masters was psycholinguistics versus sight versus phonics as the proper reading method for reading. That's what that's they gave like what me was, to, was, yeah, they that's what,
0: like that's like what Doctor, doctor, doctor with, with,
1: Yeah. That's I what they talking gave about me to that do. With, uh,
0: yeah. Yeah I was yeah. talking about that with Jean Shaw, exactly. Um, you know, interestingly enough, Rand, what's, what's really, uh, uh, in, in my view, somewhat upsetting is the uh, 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 International Reading Association, the RA, which really mm-hmm. is the worldwide governing agency for literacy, now is called the the uh, Literacy Association of America, <laughs> uh, Oh I'm sorry. the International Literacy Association, which is actually more apropos. But they put out guidelines, and I, I haven't looked at the most recent ones, I haven't had a chance, but I looked at them from about five years ago, and you know what mm-hmm. they recommended uh, for principals? The recommendation for principals of schools was some coursework in literacy. That, is that incredible? for teachers. Well, I don't teachers, think this principal knows how to
1: read either. I once I <laughs> said to her, you know, why don't you come in and show us how it's done? She could not handle anything. She, As a matter of fact, if she wrote a directive, the secretary had to correct her grammar. That's how bad she was is. The, and unfortunately, was pr- she's still there. This was a school was that, that the, when my principal retired, the school was 60 or 70% on grade level because I was doing grade 5 and grade 4. When By the time now, the school is 3 from the bottom, and they're keeping what, what her there. That,
0: what was that person? Was she the principal? The first I'm sorry. Yes? Yeah. Was
1: sixty or seventy percent above grade level on grade four and five because those are my grades, and now it's all the way down third three from the bottom. So I looked it up. I go, right. I can't believe. And with this with this crisis, COVID, I mean, she she probably hiding in her office as we speak.
0: Right. So when I read
1: your article, tell us about Michael and the assessment the parents received, and what is this bridge program, and why did this make the teachers think that this was that they were right there? I think they were way off target.
0: Yeah, well, well, Michael, Michael, a little boy, uh, actually, he's a uh, uh, the the child of uh, very close friends. Uh, he's now uh, uh, he's now an adult. He owns uh, two uh, preschools, doing very very well. Has uh, a couple of uh, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. But when he entered the uh, school district on Long Island, uh, he was um, in kindergarten. And the parents were called, all. Uh, uh, they went up to the, uh, the uh, parent conference, the first one. And a uh, lovely, lovely teacher, and she indicated to them that uh, Michael was uh, a very polite child, a very nice child, likable. However, Michael did have some B and D reversals. He did reverse some of his numbers. So they may want to consider the bridge program. And they had no idea what that meant. So they said, oh, okay. Uh, and she said, yeah, because, you know, well, I'm not saying definitely, but, and here's the code uh, sentence, friends, there might be something there. That's scary. Mm. You see? Whenever you hear that, that's code for, we think there might be a learning disability. So the mm. parents went home, they they talked with other parents, and they found out that the bridge program was basically you're doing kindergarten twice, okay? You're being retained, mm-hmm. okay? It's the fancy word. And so... They gave me a call. We talked. I made some suggestions, and uh, they didn't put Michael in the bridge program. Uh, was it easy not to do? Put him in? No, it wasn't. They said the school gave them a difficult time, but they didn't. They uh, instead uh, uh, did a lot of reading to Michael. They uh, asked if I would work with them once a week, uh, or if one of my associates would work with them once a week. Uh, I started out doing it myself, and. Uh, Actually, he, he didn't do much work at all. By the end of that first grade, he was reading beyond first grade level. Uh, so uh, he didn't have to go to the bridge program. Uh, I, I, he wasn't called that some of the kids were bridge kids because he didn't get that label, you see. So that's just one of uh, hundreds of uh, vignettes that I have about, unfortunately, the, uh, the, the the very vicious cycle of how labeling, classical labeling, results in oftentimes stigma, lower teacher expectations, and lower parental expectations. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, the child feels like there's something wrong with him. He's being told he has this disability. And when you think you have a disability, you have one. Uh, A la uh, the Pygmalion, right? Uh, The... uh, Professor Higgins and his uh, his uh, tutorie. When, uh, well, how come how come um, my colleague does much better with you than myself? Just because he treats me like a duchess, and he treats me like a duchess, I act like a duchess. I speak like a duchess. You treat me like a flower girl. That's how I speak. Yeah. And what do we call that? We call that the self fulfilling prophecy. And in my view, the self-fulfilling prophecy is absolutely critical. And one of the reasons why I'm so opposed to this over-labeling, going from 750,000 children labeled learning disabled in 1985 to over 10 million today. Is there something in the drinking water? It it can't be. We're just over-labeling children. We're medicalizing education. And it's not, and and I and I'm I'm absolutely positive it's not due to teachers or administrators being well intentioned. I believe it's because they don't have that in-depth knowledge of literacy processes.
1: I know it's it's really it's it's scary because yeah. I, I know that um there are a lot of a lot of teachers you know the kids will write first grade oh he's writing backwards he's dyslexic no he's not he just needs practice to write I mean give me a break yeah. Here. I yeah. think I think yeah, in 36 years, there was one student in a first grade class, because the Macarola put in the transitional program in 19-something uh-huh. or other, and I got stuck yeah. with that, too. That was the best thing they ever did to me, even though I was being tortured. And one boy, this, this particular child really was, uh, he just, no, no matter what you did, he learned to read, but not really, he did belong in special ed. And that was the only one in 36 years that I felt that belonged in special ed. But... Just because they're writing backwards doesn't mean that, that they're dyslexic. It just means that I would do a little test to see, do, do, does this look the same? Does this look different? I'm we're going to teach you how to write the right way. You're going to learn how to trace. No big deal. So yeah. why, do, why do most before they, before they even know what's wrong with them, they say special ed. But there were several terminologies that people don't know. Receptive, productive, defined. What are the different kinds of disabilities that people, that kids have, like audio, discrimin- audio discrimination, visual difficulties, sound, and other methods? What, what are the, some of the things that they, people will
0: automatically focus on when they think that
1: kids are learning disabled?
0: Yeah, well, the, the, uh, again, according to the uh, DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Psychologists, the newest one is DSM-5. That has all the, as you well know, all the categories and classifications. The most common um, learning disabilities, the, the most common one is dyslexia, which would make sense wow. since 95% of LD children are labeled uh, 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 LD because of reading and writing. So dyslexia is the most popular, followed by dysgraphia. Uh, dyslexia is the inability mm-hmm. to read well, uh, characterized by reversals dysgraphia, inability to to write um, on grade-level standards, and you have uh, dyscalculia, uh, that's the inability to do math, and then you have, um, oh, let's see, all kinds of dishes. Uh you have, um, oh, and then you have, the, of course, the ADD, ADHD, which interestingly enough, both of those are not counted as learning disabilities, they're, they're not in the... Um, uh, the calculation of the number of, AD, of uh, LD children, those are uh, categorized as other health-impaired. So when we look at the number of LD children, it's probably even greater. Um, mm. uh, again, we both know that way back when, if a child couldn't read well, what well, we say, you know what, it's also a bad sort of reading. Let's see what we can do to help them. They couldn't write well, same thing. You couldn't do math well. You know what? He's doing good a along, but his math needs some help. Now mm-hmm. we assign these labels, and the labels become self-fulfilling prophecies. They really do. Uh, now, ha- by the way, uh, for your listeners, I really have to be candid. Do have I found personally in working with thousands of children, in mm-hmm. doing literally thousands of assessments, uh, have I found some children who, in fact, I would even say are dyslexic, absolutely. But they're far less than the number that are being um, uh, diagnosed, okay? Uh, there are some mm-hmm. children that, for me to use that word, I really have to say, youngsters in third grade, he's able to decode words on a first grade level uh, over and above that. Because, by the way, that might be caused by inappropriate instruction. It might be caused by mm-hmm. who knows what. He's also a bad start. But if he's in third grade, when you got decoding words on the first grade level, and he also has lots of reversals by third grade, even when he writes, even when I ask him to integrate uh, sounds, but, ask, and he says um um cab, low. If that auditory integration is even done that but as much as I don't like labels, that's a youngster who probably needs that dyslexia designation. Okay. Uh, so, uh, again, I have a very high criteria for using the label. Unfortunately, I think that the criteria for these designations has come way, way down, and that's why we have 10 million youngsters in 2021 label learning disabled. Believe it or not, 19.5% of all students in New York State public schools are labeled learning disabled. It's really sad. I know. I know high school teachers
1: did. Out. High school teachers, a kid would walk in, and I know for a fact. Oh, I'm, I think I'm learning to say, well, I'm special ed. Could you please put me down for special ed? And the ed evaluator yeah. would automatically say, well, if that's what you want, that's fine, without even without even thinking. I mean, sometimes yeah. I just think it's the easy way out when people don't know what to do. And I had well, a, okay. um, a boy that was extremely bright. He could read, but he couldn't write. He had dysgraphia. So when it came yeah. to taking the test, I had to literally write it for him. I had to write the writing yeah. test for him. That's what they told me. And he didn't know how to help a pen. I said, you know what, if I could teach him how to do this, and he had occupational therapy, I guarantee he was very bright. Right, he could do it yeah. himself. Sometimes I just think it's the easy way out. I, I don't know how to do yeah. this, so we'll just send him to someone that might not. And, and the other thing is that a lot of times I found that they needed glasses. They could read, he just couldn't see. Or well, he couldn't yeah. hear. Yeah. Or he had wax in his yeah. ears or something. Yeah. I mean, I don't, no, no, I don't no, think no. in 36 years there was a child that I couldn't teach how to read. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's I, amazing. I, and after I got my message, I was like, you couldn't stop me. Forget it.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. I, you know, so in terms I of have. the eyesight, the, uh, of course, we should, we should always make sure that the vision, the visual acuity is intact. Yeah. I'm a little bit concerned about the uh, – I had, though, over the many years I had my my uh, uh, reading sense where we dealt with youngsters basically had reading and writing difficulties, and I did all of the evaluations so I was talking about, about 38 years, yeah. oh, probably thousands of evaluations. Uh, but I had more than a few students that the parents told me. I, I, I actually um, uh, discouraged them from telling me too much uh, at the uh, initial consultation or over the telephone uh, because I wanted to test in an unbiased fashion, yeah, without any uh, uh, a priori assumptions. So, um, but uh, on the follow-up parent consults, uh, I would, I, I here's one little uh, vignette. I tested a little girl, she was in oh, sixth, fifth grade. She was reading maybe a third grade level overall, uh, and her biggest problem was in reading comprehension. Uh, her decoding was fine, her receptive vocabulary was fine, her expressive vocabulary was fine, her attention concentration was fine, she just had poor comprehension. And uh, uh-huh. I went through. I explained to the parents that with that kind of um, configuration of uh, of uh, skills, basically you have a comprehension problem with nothing specific to blame it on. But However, that's where uh, your background comes into play. I knew. Uh-huh. I knew this little girl was what's called a passive reader. She was not instantiating those metacognitive strategies that you need to read actively. She wasn't uh-huh. predicting as she should. She wasn't relating new to known. She wasn't, at every sentence or two sentences, stopping, saying, "What did I read?" Trying to those metacomprehension strategies are very teachable. So I went through this whole thing with the parents. She, oh no, you're right. I, I'm sure she's not doing those things. But I have to tell you, Doctor Ludo, everything you said makes sense. And is that what you're going to? Absolutely. We're going to take a passive reader and try to make her into an active reader. And and I am I'm, I'm sure we'll be successful. She has everything she needs to be an active reader. Frankly, well, that sounds wonderful. But I do want to let you know, right now I have a going for vision therapy, and um, I think it's helpful. Friend, friend, oh, vision therapy Vision therapy has been debunked by the American Association by ophthalmology of ophthalmologists, the MDs. The MDs have said mm. read unequivocally, reading problems should be in the domain of reading specialists. Not optometrist or ophthalmologist. Uh, that's okay? exactly right. <laughs> and, and incredibly, this parent who was a nurse, who happened to be a nurse, so again, medical people tend to like medical sounding diagnoses. But mm-hmm. I, I did all mm-hmm. I, I did all I can not to um, uh, not to poo poo her vision therapy, but I did suggest that perhaps she might want to consider stopping it, since I heard. A little girl, read out loud. She read for a time on May 1st on the reading comprehension, uh, informally, uh, informal uh, inventory. But then she read the same passage aloud. She had no problem tracking. She had no, uh, She read beautifully. She sounded fluent. Anyone not known would say she was a great reader. Well, she was a great decoder. She just understood nothing, you see. Uh, she needed vision therapy like I needed, I don't know, at the time I did then this, this, is, this is where the background of the evaluator comes into play. Uh, and I'm really, really concerned that when you go to, when people bring their child to a, uh, a child study team at a major hospital for an educational evaluation that happens more than both of us can imagine, unfortunately they end up almost always with a medical diagnosis. Well, that mm-hmm. like, evaluation is done by a neuropsychologist, a speech pathologist, a, uh, let's see, a, uh, uh, sometimes uh, someone involved in bimotor assessment, occupational therapist, the person missing from the team, a blatant omission is the reading specialist, okay? And that's precisely why the parent brought the child to the hospital, because he can't read well, okay? So we've seen this medicalization ultimately when you bring your child to a hospital, the best of all hospitals, Long Island Jewish, Columbia Presbyterian. for yeah, so the child study team, it's made up of people who are not reading specialists. Uh, is the evaluation incorrect? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I feel much better if there has been a reading specialist on the team. Yeah? Well, I agree
1: with you. You know, it's really funny you say that because – I had parents coming in and said, you know, my child reads beautifully, but they doesn't understand. I said, well, let me hear them read orally. And a lot of times I figured it out in five minutes. And I looked at the little boy. I go, you're reading that just to get it done because you're word calling. You're not listening to what you're reading. Slow down. You're not You're, not, you're on a traf- traffic stop. First letter, capital, period, slow down. Hear what you're saying. Who, what, where, when. And in ten minutes... I proved to the parents that they didn't have a comprehension problem. They just weren't taught to th- – some teachers just I'll say, well, you've got to finish this passage in one minute or two minutes, so the kids just read it to get it done. They're not even hearing what they're saying. And I just yeah. told them, you know, you're wrong. Or sometimes they just need lessons in graphophonics or structural analysis, or they need to understand. so before I would even do a paragraph with my students, I would say, okay, we're going to talk about the vocabulary. We're going to go through each of those sentences. We're going to talk about what the words are that you don't know, and then I'm going to show you how fast you're going to learn how to read it. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're so quick to label <laughs> that, they, they, that to me, that's the easy way out. So even those kids in special, special education, my nephew has an IEP, and I don't think that the, even the team knows what to do with it. They have like 47 yeah. goals, and I say, well, what are you going to do to meet the goals? They don't.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but at the you end know, of the Brandon, year, he's you...
1: just as bad as he started. When he
0: started, what can I say? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you you use a use a, a a phrase uh, that I think your listening audience should really uh, pay yeah. attention to. It, it's an interesting phrase. a Word calling. Okay. Yeah. There, if you think about it, and this is this is a, well, when I. Um, Teach uh, college classes, college slash university classes, and I talk about comprehension and and reading mm-hmm. in general, as a or well, not in general, very specifically, but um, uh, I, I I talk about word calling. And if you think back to when you were in first or second grade, and um, uh-huh. we're dating, we'll be dating ourselves. But uh, not, it was not unusual for the teacher to go up and down the rows, and so everybody reads the paragraph. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and I talked to my classes about that. In my teach my classes are made up of. Uh, Graduate students, um, all, all of whom are uh, teachers or um, teachers to be—they already uh, have their bachelor's degree in uh, education—and uh, and I say, yeah. And you, you know, how many of you had were—and this is, you know, recently. Uh, so this this procedure obviously still goes on a bit in some classrooms. And as any of you remember going up and down the row, and the teacher calling you to read aloud, or in your little reading group, and you knew you were going to be called to read aloud? Um, how many of you remember not paying attention at all to what the youngsters before you were reading, but instead you counted paragraphs to see which uh-huh. one would be yours, and you worked diligently on getting yours down? And friend, it, I, it, it's actually not funny, but how many of you? And all the hands would go up. It is, and that basically, and again, all what that shows is students will to learn that what matters is when you're called on to read out loud, you read it correctly. You get every yeah. word correctly, you read it fluently, and it's it's basically teaching students the wrong lesson. It's teaching them that reading is all about sounding good when you read. Reading is all about being fluent. Reading is all about getting all the words correctly. Uh, you know to be honest with you, I, I would I wouldn't I still don't like the procedure. But if he said, "Okay, thank you for reading that, Joey. Now tell me what it says." Ah, yeah, that's a big difference. That's a big difference. That tells me also that the reading in and of itself means nothing if you can't get meaning from it. Yeah. If we convince students that reading is all about decoding, reading equals decoding accurately, decoding fluently, we're teaching them the wrong lesson, and and not not on a conscious level doing it. But unconsciously, that's what they're learning, and that's what they strive for. I can read, meaning, as you said, they could work hard.
1: Well, most of the teachers don't know how to ask the right questions, too. I mean, yeah. well, I, I, I went into different classrooms, and some of the teachers said, well, I can't seem to get through this group, or I can't through that group. And I was just sit there I say, look, I'm the reading specialist. I can give you ideas. I can tell you what I think you can do to improve, but you don't have to listen to me. But I can guarantee yeah. you if you do, your class is going to learn to read better. I mean, when I taught yeah. first grade the second year, oh, God, um, the teacher next door and I had four reading groups, and she had four. So I took my top two, and I took her... Um, almost bottom, and she took my rock bottom, and we worked together as a team to work with the kids to read. But I didn't negate, neglect my, my kids. But every child in the class received the lesson on grade level, and by the time I got done with with these little first graders, they were they were like doing research. They were able to use a regular dictionary. I don't know how I did it, but they did. They were usually the regular sixth-grade dictionary. I said, because I assumed that they were going to really be smart and they could, they could do it. I think a lot of yeah. people don't know how to ask the right questions. If the book says a specific question and the group doesn't understand it, then you need to reword it. You need to come down. Yeah, you need right. to break it down, and they don't. Yeah. They don't know how to yeah. break, it, break it down. I usually start with, what's the title of, what's the cover of the story? What's the title? What do you think is going to happen? Let, let's let let's think about it. Let me write down what you think is going to happen in the story. Oh, there's a picture right, well, there. What do you think? The, what do you think the characters are going to do? I mean,
0: well, give you, them for, some kind of he, you know. Right, but my, my sense is that I'm sorry to interrupt, but my sense is that you were doing those things not because you were born knowing how to do those things, because you had specific coursework that taught you what a directed yes. reading activity was. Yes, exactly. Right, or directed reading thinking activity. I'll Uh, Russell Stouffer was, so you did it. Now, again, unfortunately, again, I I have found, honestly, I have to to be candid. I have found many teachers who are quite good at questioning, okay? Uh, However, Mm -hmm. I've also found many, many who rely on the basal reader because they simply only have those six credits in reading. Uh, When I started teaching at the college level, the institution where I worked, had a 36-credit master's degree in reading. And it was it was incredible how uh, life sometimes uh, throws you a curveball, which turns out to be the best thing that happens. The uh, department head in literacy became the dean, so by default I became the head of the, <laughs> the reading department. And the first thing I did was I looked at the curriculum, and then was a 36-credit master's degree, of which 18 credits in reading-slash- writing were required. Half, 50%. The other 18 credits, although they, they sound like interesting topics, creative also teachers, the active domain in education, all, all important things, but I really wanted more literacy courses. So I told her I was going to bring it before the Curriculum Committee to change it. What did she say? What did you want? I said, I'd like to see 30, 30 required credits and six electives. I said, oh, no, you'll never get that throat. This college really likes students have choice and this and that. Long story short, I went before the committee. I made my case. I got one or two professors who really um, didn't agree with me, and I just turned to one gentleman. I asked for a very nice uh, professor of philosophy, and I said, John, any children? Yeah, two. How's their reading? Thank goodness, George, they're doing pretty well. I said, okay, but let's assume that one of them had a problem. Okay. (laughs) Would you like that person to be treated by a person who had 30 graduate credits in reading or 18? He said, okay, so And it was that easy, and the program changed from a 18-18 to a 30 required credits in specific courses in reading slash, better like say, reading, writing, 30 credits in reading, writing, and only two electives. And it turned out to be one of the, the strongest literacy programs uh, in New York State. And I'm not, I didn't mean that to be self-serving, but we did get lots and lots of uh, accolades from the State Head Department and people visiting the program. And our graduates were in demand because they had really great backgrounds in literacy. You don't get that with six credits. Even 18 is not enough. I, All by I by know way, is that we, your
1: program put me on the right track. I'll never forget. I'll never forget yeah. this. And I had to hand in the first uh, a critique or opinion of an article on an index card. That was the first. Yeah. And I, still, yeah. and I still have the yeah. index cards
0: <laughs> to prove it. Yes, yes. It was, and then, and then, it, I, then after
1: the first one, you picked all my articles, and I go, now I'm sunk, because you picked the hardest <laughs> ones. And I said, oh, god, now I'm going to have yeah. to really have to think. But the, the yes. program at Lehman was probably the, the best program I had, the sociology, the testing. Well, that particular person wasn't that great. But Dr. Sledge and Dr. Lyle put us to our paces with the literature classes, and I learned so much. Besides reading yes. 150 books and having to take write, right. write summaries on them. But I, I could not believe you know, how much better I got at teaching reading. And I could not believe that you were sort of like – my assistant principal was a reading specialist. So if he was bored doing his job as assistant principal, he said, okay, you're going to do my job. I'm going to teach you a group. I said, wait a minute, I want to watch you because he was brilliant. And I would say to the kids, okay, when I come back, you're going to tell me what he did so I could write down a copy. <laughs> but still, yeah, I mean, yeah. Th- there were so many different ways. I mean, these kids came in at 6.30 in the morning, and I went down to the book room and pulled every kind of program I could possibly find. All the right. old, old, old reading books. And then I said, you know what, you don't need a book to teach anybody how to read. I'm just going to write. Words, you know, like and at whatever. I said, by the time I get done at the end of the hour, you're going to be able to read a whole bunch. And I surprised myself. Yeah. And what, do, what doesn't yeah. work, you've got to try to change the method. And that's the problem, yeah. like you said. It's yeah. like a canned method. So to today I don't even know how teachers come into a classroom when, when the kids have to wear masks and, and whatever. It makes it really difficult. And then, of course, you have yeah. the child that comes in and said, I'm never going to learn.
0: Yeah, I can't. You know, well, the it, parent it, it, that
1: comes in and says, "My child can't learn; he doesn't know what to do." That, that's when I want to yeah. scream because whoever told yeah, you well, that, it's not true. Every child can learn at their own rate.
0: Right, right. The, the problem, friend, is uh, well, there are obviously many, many um, causal factors. But uh, again, yeah. that's why I am writing this book, and I will finish it eventually. Uh, the medicalization I hope you it. of education. Yeah, why, why Johnny Jill can't read, uh, uh, because I'm passionate about this. I recently read an article, and this was a fascinating article, because mm-hmm. it was written by a, the past president of the International Reading Association, I'm sorry, the International Dyslexia Association. So it was written by someone who is intimately involved in special education. He happens to be an attorney, and he happens to be an advocate for learning disabled children. And uh, his article was called, ready? The Failures uh-huh. of Special Education. And uh-huh. if I just say, very quickly, read, he, he talks about stages, if I may just quote from his article. Quote, unfortunately for children with learning disabilities, the delays, the to the field of education in the United States result in a predictable progression of behavioral consequences. Stage one, a learning disability. Stage two, Mm. a learning disability plus failure. Stage three, a learning disability plus failure minus effort and motivation. Stage four, a learning disability plus failure minus Mm. effort and motivation plus anxiety. Okay? And this is precisely that what you were talking about. Once they That's have their labels, they, they become, uh, the, the psychologists would call this uh, an attribution, uh, attribution theory. They, they develop this um, uh, external locus of control. It's not my fault. I have this problem. I have this disability. Uh-huh. Yeah, They become disempowered. They be, In fact, Richard Allington called labeling children uh, 40 years ago. He called labeling children blaming the victim. What a great phrase, huh? Blaming the victim. And Richard Allen didn't just literacy program at SUNY Albany for 30, 30, 50 years, and I'm sure he's retired now. But uh, brilliant. He's absolutely right that it's blaming the victim. And and once students are told they have this problem and they have this label, what do we do? We give them accommodation. Well, you don't have to read anymore things can be read to you. Well, yeah. Unfortunately, as, as uh, Jim Chalice said in the Read Aloud Handbook, or I'm sorry, as Ryan Smith said uh, in Understanding Reading, no, no, rather colloquially, no one ever got good at reading by not reading. Huh? So when we, we write in the youngster's IEP that everything can be read to him, what's the motivation to learn through? When we write in the youngster's IEP that he can have and a fancy word, an amanuensis, where he can have someone write for him. He dictates and someone writes for him. Where's the motivation to learn to write? Yeah. Uh, accommodations on IEPs do make school life easier for LD children. I'm just concerned that they they become an incredible, incredible crutch. Oh, I
1: agree with you because I noticed that. When I, when I was, you know, in teaching, working with special ed, I taught special ed. A lot of the special ed teachers used to sneak their kids into my reading group, and I didn't care. But I know my nephew's in special ed. He has an IEP. And they don't, I mean, I said to him, I said, don't you have to worry about getting held over? They don't. They just automatically pass them through. They, they don't care. As a matter of fact, in one of, some of the high schools, they have classes where the kids go to class, they learn whatever they want, and they don't have homework, and they don't have to do anything that they don't want to do. That doesn't teach them very much of anything. Well, they, they can't learn. Yes, they can. You just choose to make it so easy for them. We're gonna I'm going to, we're gonna graduate anyway. So why do we have to have homework? And that yeah. really teaches responsibility. It's 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 frightening. So before we yeah. finish, I mean, what um, what are you writing next that I'm gonna to want to learn more about? Because this topic really bothers me. I mean, I taught children that were so far behind. And when I got done with them, I forgot that they were behind. And the transitional program that Macarola put in was phenomenal. It was um, first graders that were 16 children that if they had another month of school, they might have made it to the next grade. So the purpose mm-hmm. was in January, I had 16 children that were in first grade that took the first grade, took the for second grade test, and eight of them went to second grade. And they wanted to take them out, so I had a one-two class. I knew I was sunk after that. And then the <laughs> next year I had the same thing. And they, when they finally did away with the program, the principal said to me, "Well, now you're going to teach double grades." I go, "Why? Well, help? Um, yeah, it, you, you can do it if you if you have the right mindset. But most teachers yeah. teachers can So what are you writing next that I'm going to want to read and talk about?
0: Yeah. Well, the the next book I'm writing, friend, is uh, we'll have to finish this one first. So will have. Uh, a good amount. It, it, it seems like every time I'm, I think I have it wrapped up. I find something else, such as an article by uh, 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 Dickerson that I just mentioned, which is uh, I've just added to the book because it was uh, just written in uh, 2020. It's a great article. Uh, by the way, that article ends by saying it's a quote: "The greatest good is found by preventing need, not by postponing mm-hmm. help." Which is a great quote. Um, uh, uh, I need. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question. But I think the next book I'm writing, uh, and I'm writing this kind of uh, at the same time, I'm finishing my medicalization book. Is I'm writing a book. I want teach, to read that one. Yeah. Thank you. To teach reading specialists how, by taking one piece of the whole assessment pie, you should be able to make predictions about other pieces. Um, I haven't come up with a mm-hmm. title yet. I have a model called the. Uh, uh, SRAMs, a simple reading assessment model that involves the looking at a youngster's uh, word recognition, word recognition authenticity, this has the vocab, schemata, attention concentration, and then you put pluses and minuses in these areas based on formal testing but also on naturalistic classroom um, observations. And, for example, one of the things that I do with this book show, if you've already assessed that you have a second grader, in the first third fifth day of school direct you realize this little boy or girl has incredible difficulty decoding well you know you can already predict that his reading comp- or her reading comprehension has to be poor you can make that prediction mm-hmm. just like if if you can't you don't know more code you have no idea what i just said I didn't say anything real yeah. But, by example, I think two of us would have difficulty understanding Morse code and understanding Braille because we can't decode it, yes? So um, this model is a predictive model that shows reading special and Not to there's one piece of the assessment to predict. For example, if you have the young with poor C poor background knowledge, Mm-hmm. What predictions can you make just from that? Now again, that's gonna take a little while to assess says how wouldn't it says that in one, two, three days. But after two weeks mm-hmm. you might find out that, hey, I'm talking about Canada and he thinks it's a uh, a town, yeah? And he's in fourth mm-hmm. fifth grade. There might be some background house problems there. Now Yoshu has really poor Yimara uh as a uh as a hey, Uh, Ken Goodman said, you can only read as well as you can think. So a youngster with really poor schemata is not going to be a good reading comprehender. He's also not going to be a good listening comprehender because he doesn't have much to bring to the page. Now, that's a tough problem, Frank. That's a problem that not only the the teacher by himself or herself can't solve, you need the parent's help. Yeah, exactly right. That youngster had not been read to. There's youngster who in all probability has not had many life experiences outside of the home, hasn't been to the, uh, I know I was going to say opera, but hasn't been to plays, hasn't, hasn't uh, been uh, to museums, uh, planetary, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's the youngster who really needs to fill in those gaps in his background knowledge, which is not the easiest thing to do. So that green that comprehension problem, that listening, compre- that listening comprehension problem will not be a mystery. Fixing it will be difficult, but we need to know that we have to bring the parents in this We need to bring the parents in on all of the literacy issues we have. Literacy is not a it's not restricted to uh, uh, Literacy is, uh, I'm trying to hold this, but it doesn't matter, uh, so for the need to not give it credit to us for this quote, but literacy is a uh, community activity. It's not limited to the schools. schools. Huh? The parents play a role. The community plays a role. The teacher plays a vital role. A role, uh, sorry, a, a vital role. And uh, so anyway, then uh, this book is a book, Teaching, how to make predictions based upon each specific area of the learning process. Um, I'll have to come up with a good title for it, but uh, I do want to mention uh, before we uh, time is up that um, I, I think one of the things I really have to stress is uh, my experience as a college professor for almost four decades has convinced me that teachers are well-intentioned. They love that what they do. Of course, I'm thinking generally, and this is for the most part. Uh, They want to do well, but again, if we require only six credits in literacy of out of 125 credits at the baccalaureate level, our elementary teachers are not going to have the proper background to facilitate reading.
1: Some students
0: will read in spite of that, but we've learned 50% of kids read regardless of that. But that other 40% need a very, very knowledgeable teacher, and six credits doesn't do it. I have also, found, friend, and this is particularly disturbing, same with special ed teachers. Well-intentioned, however, I know. look at what what's required in terms of reading coursework. Not much at all. At the institution where I went there the six credits in reading for a master's degree in special education, not nearly enough. Any institutions out there that require... 1821 21 credits, I have to tip my hat to them. I, I wrote a program at Dowling College, where I had been for a long time until I uh, had to end uh, operations. But there, I wrote a program with my colleagues, Dr. Barry McInerney and uh, Dr. Wayne Kaplan. 18 credits in reading, 18 credits in special ed. It was a combined reading special ed masters, friends, that program in two years became the most popular masters majors at the college. Mm. And we were, out, we were turning out special ed teachers who really, really had a fantastic background in literacy. What does that mean? That means, with, number one, they interviewed, they, they got jobs. And number two, when they were in the resource room, they had a wonderful background to work with these youngsters who had literacy difficulties. So it's not a question of teachers being um uh, uh, inept, in it, incapable, it uh, has, in my experience and in my view, it has so much to do with the amount of literacy coursework required. Does professional development help? Absolutely, if it's done well. Uh, does the teachers on their own become more knowledgeable by reading and studying and, uh, and attending conferences? Absolutely, and I shouldn't neglect to mention that. Can they make themselves literacy specialists? Actually, yes. But
1: uh, more than that. So before we, not before we go, we have a couple of minutes, probably a couple of seconds before I forget. Uh, Monday. Sure. The, a very famous French horn player will be on for, Through the Door uh, on, on Wednesday. Nothing like starting September off with Brian Freeman and the Bourne Treachery. He just took over the Jason Bourne series from Robert Ludlam, who died. And that's just as part know. of sub, sub, September. I've got panel shows coming up. This this has Wonderful. been very informative, and for those of you, um, a lot, of, lot one final comment that that that, that does ring true to me also, is that a lot of times, and I hear my niece say it, and I get annoyed. She's uh, my nephew is, is autistic, and he does very well in school. You would not know it. And I said to her, I can help him with his reading if you let me. Well, oh, it's the school's job to help him. I said, no, it's everybody's job to help everybody. That bothers me. That some parents, but this has been great. I want to thank you so much. Everyone. My
0: pleasure,
1: Everyone, please be smart. Just one small ask, and I've been saying this at the end of all of my broadcasts. Please wear a mask and stay safe. Dr. Cavuto, this is great. And when you want to do this again, send me some more talking points, and I will make another day because this has really been informative. Everybody, have a great day, and bye.
0: Thank you, friends.